there. Welcome along to episode 181 of the JazzNet Weekly Podcast, the independent Rangers show made by fans for fans, where all of our content is absolutely free. And guys, in a week like this, you're going to want as much Rangers content as you can get your hands on. So please do head over to our website at www.jersnet.co.uk, where there's a whole load of great stuff in addition to the podcast, uh, such as the Friendly Discussion Forum, plenty of articles, Frankie's social media page, and even a history archive over there. So please do head over to the website and check that out. It's just gone 9.30pm on Sunday, the 8th of May. Uh, thank you very, very much if you're joining us live tonight on the YouTube stream. Please do let us know your thoughts, your questions, your comments. How are you feeling after Thursday? How are you feeling after the game today? How are you feeling looking ahead to the two cup finals that we have coming up in the next couple of weeks? Frankie's going to be patrolling the comments there, so please do let him know how you're getting on this evening. If you're not joining us live, the podcast is always available for download first thing on a Monday morning. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts from normally, including Acast, iTunes, YouTube, CastBox, Stitcher and Spotify. Uh, like I say, there's plenty to talk about tonight. We're going to be looking uh, at today's uh, 2-0 victory, fairly routine victory, I guess, at Ibrox over Dundee United. We'll also take a look at uh, how we're settling down after Thursday, after one of the most momentous nights in, in Rangers history. Uh, look ahead to the final in Seville. Uh, and, and take a look at some of the other pieces of news that have come out throughout the week. Before we get started on all of that stuff, though, um, it'd be really remiss of me not to mention the Rangers women's team who have uh, wrapped up the, the, the Scottish Women's Premiership title this afternoon. It's, firstly, it's a real shame that, that, uh, that their game kind of clashed with the men's game. I managed to catch the last 45 minutes, the second half of the women's game today. Uh, they just needed a point against Glasgow City to, to wrap that up, and I'm really, really pleased to say they managed to do so. Um, not only is it uh, kind of a, an amazing achievement to win that title and win the league uh, or win any league, but to end uh, a 14-year dominance of Glasgow City is uh, is really something special. So, so congratulations to Malcolm Thompson, to the team, uh, and everyone at Rangers Women's. It's really, really great stuff to see. Uh, we'll, we'll turn our attention to the men and uh, two fine men that I have joining me this evening. Um, firstly, Ian Duff. Ian, warm welcome back to the show. Have you uh, managed to calm down after Thursday night? Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been quite a few days, hasn't it? It's uh, still sinking in, as they say, but uh, but yeah, un- unbelievable in some ways. It really was. It really was. Are you still sort of a couple of drinks in? Is that maybe why you're forgetting the button there? <laughs> could well be. Could well be. I'm on the Coca Cola tonight. That's that. Good man. Good man. Also joining us tonight, Patrick Cascade. Patrick, uh, would it be wrong of me to assume that you've already done some incredibly in-depth scouting of uh, of the Frankfurt squad? No, no, not as yet. Um, the hangover, less actually real, more uh, of positive uh, energy is still firmly here. Um, I was almost not ex- not unexcited to watch today's game, but it went as well as it could have. Uh, I think we're all sort of preoccupied with 10, and I think it's 13 days from now, in which will be the real make or break of the season. But th- this is what we support football for. Absolutely, it is. Too right, too right. Well, look. Um, I kind of agree with the sentiment there that today's game has a slightly strange feeling about it when we're really clearly looking ahead to what's going to come week after next. Um, but but Ian, following Thursday, and, and given that really the league is done, um, I think Celtic need, need one point to confirm that, um, it, it, it did put a slightly strange feeling or a strange atmosphere over today's game. Um, it, I, I guess it's a silly question, given that we are Rangers and we expect to win every game, but did a good performance and a good result really matter today, given the context of everything else that's been going on? Uh, well, I suppose, I suppose in a sort of literal way, no, it didn't, because as you say, the league is over, basically. Uh, it's all over by the shouting. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think a good performance and a result 
just keeps it going, doesn't it? So what you know, what we don't want is uh, is to sort of for the next two weeks to drop off completely and then going into the the two finals, uh, you know, unprepared basically, you know, you know, less sharp than they would like to be. So I think yeah, while it's a chance to give the sort of fringe players and the younger players a, a run out. I think we still want to keep the momentum going uh, because uh, you know you, you don't want to lose that, and, and, and especially with two really important games coming up. So, so yes, I was pleased at the performance today. I thought the I thought the team was uh, was pretty good all round. I think everyone uh, did what they had to do. Dundee United really didn't offer much, to be fair. So, uh, I have to say we were uh, tested in any way. But yeah, I thought that everyone did exactly what was asked of them. Patrick, clearly a, a huge amount of rotation um, from from Gio in the squad today, uh, and he clearly has one eye or one and a half eyes on on what's to come week after next. Um, what did you make of the performance, given the uh, the number, I guess, of fringe players that made the squad today? Uh, I mean, I think it was probably went as well as you could have hoped. I think the first half was fine. The football on show was really good, actually, despite what the scoreline would suggest. And I think we've probably got the synthesis of a good result and a good performance. And that was sort of the chair on top was seeing the trio of uh, academy-produced players or academy players, because Charlie McCann, you can dispute who, he, who actually produced them, but them coming on, really not looking out of their depth. I think Alex Iowa looked fantastic when he came on, really bright spark. And I think it would be remiss not to mention Leon King from the start, and he was given Man of the Match by Rangers TV. And he looked incredibly comfortable, so much so when he was put a left back, he was sw- swinging in crosses, looking just really adept on the ball, in which it's like, this is incredible for like an 18-year-old centre-back and he's being able to sort of maintain this technical efficiency up in the final third. But no injuries. Uh, people who needed minutes in their legs got them. I think that was really important for Ramsey. He didn't last the full 90, but that, I'm surprised he even lasted 75 to 80 because it's an interesting discussion as to whether do you rest players and give them sort of the full ability to recuperate. But then some players sort of do better by continuing momentum and having minutes in their legs. And I think it was almost weird to see Tavernier subbed off. I think that's probably the first time we've seen it in two or three years where he actually came off um, injury related. Uh, but I, I would just say it was, it was a positive um, experience all round in every sort of facet. I think, I think you're right. And, and with the, 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 the trio of youngsters that came on midway through the second half, added to Leon King starting the game, um, you know, that's, that's four out of the 11 on the, end, uh, uh, on the pitch at the end there have come through the academy. Um, it, it, it felt to me that there was an air of almost like a pre-season match about this. Like the sun was shining, plenty of families there. Uh, we went 54 minutes without scoring a goal and I didn't hear any booing or uh, any, any kind of fans getting on the backs. Um, and we had loads of youngsters out who are having a, you know, a, a great day at Ibrook. So it, it did have this kind of weird carnival pre-season lack of tension feeling to it but actually given the, the the stress and the tension that we've had in the last few days that um that's certainly no bad thing uh, ian we've mentioned there alex lowry uh mccann divine and, and, and ken who, who all came on or, or maybe even started the game which of those uh those youngsters impressed you the most well i mean i, I think lowry stands out i mean you know he's looks like an excellent prospect um he always impresses. He's impressed every time I've seen him playing. He, he's just got a, a confidence about him. That he's, he's willing to try things. He's he's you know he's only eighteen and he's got no right to really be uh, you know trying some of the stuff he does. But he just seems to you know ha- ha- use his confidence. He, he, you know he'll take the ball on. He'll he'll try a wee trick. He'll he'll look for a pass and he's uh, he's willing to have a go at goal as well. So 
you know, he's he's the kind of player actually we'll we'll be crying out for. And if he fulfills his potential, then you know, you know, we're, we're in for a real treat. Um, so he's he stood out today, uh, even in the, the short time that he was on, um, and King as well. I mean, the the thing about King is, I mean, you know, I I, I wondered because I haven't seen an awful lot of him playing. Um, uh, certainly not in the uh, uh, you know until he, he gets uh, occasional chances in the first team, and I I assumed that he he maybe wasn't quite up to to the standard that was required because. You know, he wasn't getting his chance at all. And we were struggling at, at times throughout the season for at centre-back because of various things, injuries, etc. And uh, he, he just didn't seem to ever be uh, be trusted. And that, that concerned me a bit. And having seen him playing, I'm really surprised that he hasn't had more of a, a run-out during the season because, you know, he looked so comfortable. He looked really assured. As I said, I mean, Dunn United didn't really offer much, to be honest, in an attacking sense. But what was asked of him, uh, he, he did it uh, superbly and, and, and he looked really comfortable in that position. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised he's not been seen more often during the season. But uh, but, but he, he also looks like uh, like someone who, who could get himself into the, the first team reckoning over the next couple of seasons. I, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying there, Ian, um, about Leon King. I'm, I'm fairly certain he was starting to break through at the tail end of last season. Obviously, we, last season was a, a slight anomaly in how early it was wrapped up. And um, I've got a, a photo just there of, of the, the squad when we confirmed the title last season. And I'm fairly sure he's in that picture. So he was hanging around the first team back then. Um, he was getting minutes 12 months ago. So um, surprised we've not seen more of him, as you say, with the, the defensive frailties we've had with injuries, Holander being out for so long, etc. Um, Patrick, we've rattled off a few um, very high-caliber youngsters there, um, and I, I agree with, with what Ian said about Alex Lowry. Every time I've seen him play, he, he looks phenomenal. Um, he looks really, really gifted at the late runs into the box. He's, his, his range of passing is excellent. There was one wonderful through ball for, for fashion today after he came on, which was um, which really caught my eye. And yet, on this podcast, if you delve back through our archives, you go back a couple of years. You'll hear me say that Ross McCrory is the greatest uh, output from the academy since Barry Ferguson. And if you go back one more year, you'll hear me say the same thing about Glenn Middleton. So what do we need to do to make sure that these boys actually have an impact in the first team for a number of years and not just be a bit of a flash in the pan? Yeah, I was also a big Ross McCrory fan. I mean, he won, I think... Uh... This is obviously an Aberdeen podcast, but I think he won their player of the season. So it's uh, good to see at least players that we produce. Obviously, not all of them are going to have a career at Ibrox and at Rangers, but going on to do some decent things and assuming we have a sell-on clause for him. So if they make any money, some should come to us. Um, I think the best compliment I can pay to Alex Lowry is that everything he does between his appearance, the way he runs, the way he handles the ball, is so un-Scottish, and that's a firmly a compliment to him. It's a sort of thing in which it isn't this sort of dogged workman. like It just comes really naturally. Um, and I wonder if that's a sign of things to come with modern generations across footballers, which is hopeful. Um, but it really is this sort of technical ability, which is like just fun. It's flair filled. But I, I think I think the pathway, I mean, there's been a concerted effort, especially since Ross Wilson came in, to sort of establish a more dogged pathway or a structured pathway in which players stay in-house and develop as opposed to always going out on loan to a League One or League Two Scottish team because you need to consider the uh, cost uh, or risk-reward benefit and ratios and all of that. And, and we see Man City do it really well and it's really easy to say, oh, just get them training in the first team and they'll be better than playing in, in League One on the weekends. But I think it has worked out, especially when you look at Lowry, 
King McCann now, and even going back Patson. Um, I, I do think the loans to English League One and Championship have also been working well because I just think the structure there is slightly better than what we have in Scotland. And they play far more games. They're racking up 46 games a season. So even if you're not going down there as a guaranteed starter by the law of averages, you're going to get at least 20 games and minutes under your legs. Stephen Kelly's done quite well at, at Salford, albeit not lit it up. But even he's coming in January and still got, I think, 23 appearances, which is close to what you get in a full year here in Scotland. But no, I, I think utilising our facilities, they're the best in the country and they're really um, top quality. I think on the Rangers TV broadcast today, Neil McCann was saying it's up there with any in Europe. You come here and it is comparable to the super clubs. So I think sort of grinding everything we can out of it, nurturing a positive uh, atmosphere, but fundamentally getting them in playing first team minutes as young as possible. Uh, I, I kind of concur with what Ian was saying. It's quite surprising he's taken King this long to get. I think that was his first full 90 in the league. But it's easy for us to now say, because he played well, he should have come in earlier. But it is nice um, to know this now, as opposed to throw him in February. And maybe he has a negative experience and his confidence gets pushed back and his timeline is is um, thrown back by six months. But it is positive. And I think this is, I know it's quite easy to say in the moment, but appears to be the most encouraging or exciting generation or, or, or year of youth talents we've had in quite a while. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think maybe this is me being a bit, idealistic and a bit of a dreamer but I feel that the management team that we have in place now as well with Gio but also with Dave Voss whose background is in kind of academy coaching and bringing young talent through at a very successful level in, in Holland um, should should help us to, to kind of bridge that gap because we've said a lot that the, the output from the Rangers training centre over the past decade 15 years has not really been good enough so um, let's let's hope that that changes. There have been plenty of players actually that have come through uh, the Rangers youth ranks and kind of gone on to have impressive careers elsewhere. I was watching a, a championship game yesterday, English championship game yesterday, um, Luton versus Reading. I saw Cal Naismith dominating in the centre of the park for, for Luton. Um, I remember him playing for us in the third year. I was watching him against Queen Park, named the Pollard, right? But he's obviously gone on, John Fleck is another one, gone on to have a really, really solid career after sort of getting that grounding at, at Rangers. Ian, let's talk about someone who had a, a, a massive impact on today's game, has had a good impact throughout the season, and yet there's still question marks hanging over him. Um, Fashion Sakala, he wins us the penalty, um, and he gets the assist for, for the second goal. Full of running, full of creativity. Seems to me sometimes that he doesn't even know what he's going to do, which um, is probably a nightmare for defenders because if, uh, if he doesn't know what he's going to do then how can I the defender know what he's going to do um, but how do you see his development going in the role that he's going to play because there are certainly still fans saying that this guy's not good enough to play for Rangers um, and yet he's he's really been the I guess the catalyst to us scoring two goals today Yeah I mean I like him I think he's you know I, I, I like his enthusiasm I like his uh, his effort he, you know he's one of these players who you know, and it's not always necessarily uh, the sign of a great player. But if if you you know if you put the effort in and you, you look as if you're uh, you you want to uh, to contribute to the to the team, then that that is half the battle. Um, I think what lets him down a bit is is possibly his final decision making. You know, he, he quite often he'll, he'll he'll go for the wrong option uh, when he's drilling goal, or he's been a bit unlucky as well. There was a, a chance he had today where. He was blocked uh, just as he was uh, hitting the shot, and 
you know, that, that was just good defending. It wasn't it wasn't anything to do with him. So he's been a bit unlucky in that sense. But he's he's scored some important goals and he, as you say, he's you know, he's been involved in creating goals as well. I think he's a I think he's a decent squad player. He wouldn't necessarily be my first choice to to start every game, but I mean, you know, he's he's he deserves his chance when, when if he, you know if if Morelos isn't available, if Roof isn't available, or uh, if we want to play a different approach to the the the, the, the Roof offers, then I think I think he's he's worthy of being in the squad and he's definitely worthy of starting when uh, when when required. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know I don't know where he'll go. I mean, he, he, how his career will develop. Um, you know, he certainly has got plenty of sort of raw talent, um, and I think that that will go a long way. And if he can sort of hone that, perhaps with uh, somebody like uh, Roy McKay uh, helping him out, maybe that that could help him as well in the, the sort of medium to longer term. But yeah, I think I think sometimes it's just that decision making from his point of view that is the is what lets him down. But but you know, he plays the game with a smile on his face. As say, I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I mean, it's it's good to see. Him. It's, you know, he, he seems to enjoy himself. So. Uh, more power to him. Yeah, absolutely. Patrick, how about yourself? I mean, uh, Rangers fans on the whole seem to love the idea of us shopping in these kind of markets where we got fashion from. Um, do you think that he's actually a good enough player to lead us potentially into the Champions League group stages next year, all being well next week? Uh, I mean, not, not in like a talismanic starting um, sort of capacity, but I think it'd be impossible to say he isn't worthy of a place on the bench or, or in the sort of 15-man rotation. Um, but no, I, I think there's obvious sort of complaints about how sort of straightforward his football appears to be. Um, it, it's not very flashy. It's not very flair, but it's effective. You can't argue with the numbers. They're genuinely really impressive and they supplement um, when Morales isn't playing or when he is and he supplements them really well, at least in, in numerical capacity. But he also does provide that sort of pitch-stretching effect in which that the amount of chaos he does provide just with his pace and his un, sort of underappreciated strength. He has really good upper body strength and a fantastic leap, which is something I didn't really expect from him. But you see him sort of challenging his big centre-backs in the air. Uh, it's a shame he can't really head with the ball, though, but he does manage to get contact, which is better than nothing. Um, I, I do think he's the sort of player in which you, not all players are brought in immediately to be a star in their first season. Um, he's only really had two years of full-on top division for football because he was playing for Spartak Moscow's second team in the FNL, the Russian second division, uh, three seasons ago. So he's only really now starting to play um, consistent football uh, in his first year at Ostend. He only played half a season. He was playing in the right, left and central, which kind of mirrors this year. He hasn't really found a sort of specific position. I think he's best on the left. That's where he's played least, sadly. I think on the right, he's just not good enough with his left foot at all. He's not really comfortable or, or fin has enough finesse within that right foot to open up both sides of the foot and play with inside and outside the foot. And that's really obvious to see when he plays with Tavernier. He's not really able to sort of interchange as well as like Aribo or, or even Arfield is with, with him. But no, I, I think he'll just just improve, to be honest, in, in, in the next season. That's obviously my optimistic hat. But he did come in, I remember a lot was made of it. He came in quite late in the summer. There was questions about where he was. And I think that was visa related and COVID restriction related. So he joined not even at the beginning of preseason. So I do expect that full preseason under him will help. He's obviously settled to Scotland. He knows his teammates. He seems to be a popular character within both the sport and, and the dressing room. And I do think as much as it might appear gimmicky, having someone like Roy Mackay, who is one of the most revered strikers of the 2000s, is not going to not help, if you know what I mean. Um, he's the sort of player in which he's all about finishing and getting into good positions. And that is what we would ideally like to see Sakala improve the most. 
Absolutely. Um, staying with yourself, Patrick, uh, a player who I thought did extremely well today, but one who was signed to make an immediate impact is, is Amad Diallo. Um, obviously brought in for a, a six-month loan spell in, in January there. Um, 45 minutes today, uh, scored a, a lovely goal, but certainly looked full of tricks and full of creativity and, and, and full of drive. Um, is there an argument to suggest that he's maybe been underused in the last couple of months? I'm not sure if underused because I think the idea is definitely there that he was brought in to be an immediate impact because that's what you do with a six-month loan. There's no other purpose to it for them to come in and hit the ground running. But he really isn't the profile of player that you'd want on, on a purely six-month loan. This was his first foray into consistent first-team football. He's obviously talented. He showed that Atalanta's B team. It's a reason Man United forked out whatever they did for him. And there's also another reason why he did play in some capacity in United Europa League run two seasons ago or, or last season, I forget. But no, I think he's the sort of player in which definitely the six... It would have been perfect if we had him on an 18-month loan, I, I put it that way. This six months, like how the Sands deal has kind of come up, this six months is a betting-in period, especially because I'm unsure of his English levels because he only moved to the UK 18 months ago and before that I don't think he spoke English. He's young, he's quite slight, and he's genuinely uh, a boy. So I think taking this time for him to settle has helped. And I, some people might say there's less pressure in this game, but I do think it's coming to terms with where he's living, who he's with and stuff like that. So I do think the idea of him coming in and being an immediate one is not, I think failure is quite hard to put it because he's such a likable chap and he hasn't really had that much opportunity. I think the Motherwell game was probably a microcosm of his time. He looked quite decent, quite tricky on the ball, but then was forced off because of Balgan's red card. Um, I, I do see some chats with the idea of bringing him or, or wanting to bring him back for 12 more months. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think, again, like Sakala, he'd benefit from, from a preseason and maybe some also physical benchmarking, ideas of getting his weight up um, along those lines. But I don't think he's been fantastic, but I do think there's been flashes to show that there is a real player there and one which is of the calibre of in the future to play beyond whatever we can offer at Rangers and maybe get a spot on that Man United team. I mean, even now he could probably go into that United team. Um, they're not faring very well at all. Yeah, yesterday was humiliating for, for United. Um, Ian, we've, Rangers have only a, a couple of elite games left of this campaign, um, which ultimately domestically goes down as an unsuccessful league season. Um, but Ross County at home on, on Wednesday is, is the next tie. Um, how do we approach this one? Do we see a starting lineup similar to what we saw today with lots of fringe, lots of rotation? Or is it time to start building momentum into the legs ahead of Frankfurt next Wednesday? Well, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because uh, you don't want players to get rusty, so you want to keep them uh, ticking over, but equally you don't want them to get tired, you don't want them to get injured, you know. Uh, you know, all sorts of things can happen in, in games, and you know, you, at this stage, you don't want anyone to uh, to, to get an injury that's going to put them out of the, the, the finals. Um, so, I think it will be something similar, a kind of mixture of uh, players who have who are, who are automatic starts uh, and some of the fringe guys, and give them a chance. Because the other thing as well is, if something does happen, and we we want these fringe players to come in. Uh, as fresh and as ready as uh, as as the the sort of regular starters, so uh, so so guy, I think I think guys like Sands, who I, th I thought actually put a good game today, I thought he played pretty well. Um, I think he'll and uh, I think he'll probably start again uh, during the week. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think we'll probably see a similar kind of lineup uh, to to what we saw today. And I think that will be the case again in the weekend, and then. Uh, and then hopefully we'll be uh, all ready to go. 
I think you're probably right, and I don't think many people are going to be too disappointed with that. Like you say, most of these French players today acquitted themselves very nicely. I'm glad you mentioned James Sands there. I think he, he, he did well. Um, 18 month loan deal on that one, I think, with an option to buy at the end. A uh, sensible deal for all parties, and I look forward to him kind of hopefully establishing himself a little bit more next season. Um, uh, another one who can be useful covering a number of positions. So, lots of stuff to be optimistic for. Gents, I appreciate we've only done sort of 20, 25 minutes on the Dundee United game, but uh, in truth, not a huge amount actually to talk about from that game. Um, relatively routine, and uh, we want to get onto the more fun stuff, which is, of course, kind of reflecting now on, on Thursday's just monumental victory over, over RB Leipzig. Um, I, I was saying to Frankie just before we came on air here, undoubtedly my greatest kind of most enjoyable experience ever being at a football game um it's been a few days patrick has the i guess the the weight of this achievement started to sink in yet you look at the teams that were in this competition two months ago uh and you see that we're through to the final us a team from scotland uh has, has that started to really make sense to you yet no i mean i'm still at the point where when I'm at the gym and I'm on the treadmill, they have the they have a touch screen and I can watch YouTube highlights. And for three days in a row, all I've done is watch the game's highlights twice to make up my 20-minute cardio session. But no, I think this is, albeit um, it's going to be a polarizing topic in Scotland, I think it's one that we should be able to proudly talk about for as long as we want, maybe even name a hospitality suite after if we, if we so choose. But that'll be really fun if we manage to do something in Seville. But I, I think it's if you just look back, to August or September when the competition started and you look at the, the bookmakers and the predictive odds of giving us, I think it was half a percent chance of making it to the finals and even less to win it. And then when you come and, and you manage to navigate all these ties and then you finally get there in a circumstance in which the game was so, not, not it, it was nervy, that was, that's the main overriding emotion, but it wasn't that difficult. I thought that we were genuinely the better, better football team and that's, that's coming up against the, the sort of end line in one of the most uh, st- streamlined and effective uh, production machines in football, which is the Red Bull Group. And this is a team which is littered with top quality talent, which is linked linked with these super clubs. I mean, Josko Guardiola, he played really well against us and he's linked with Chelsea and Barcelona. So th- this is an example of who we're playing against. This is Champions League caliber opponents who were given the group of death and managed to get some points out of it as well. Um, I think it doesn't matter who we played, to be honest, and how we got there. This is still the greatest achievement, at least in my lifetime, and I'm sure many of uh, um, many other Rangers fans will concur with that agreement. And, and I do think regardless of what happens um, 10 days from now, it will obviously be looked back fondly and will be something that we can use to try and sell to prospective players and hopefully use as a bargaining chip to try and keep some players and extend their deals. But if we do manage to go one step farther, which I'm fully confident in doing, because I think my line quarterfinal onwards is we're here, so we might as well win it. Because um, there is, especially it's, it's just 90 minutes. Frankfurt aren't a great side they're tangibly worse than Leipzig and Dortmund. Um, and they're in a, they were in a similar predicament this weekend too, as they played quite a rotating squad, but they still did tie with Gladbach at home. And it's at the point where it's like, on merit, we deserve to be here. And this is a team who are not who are firmly within our stratosphere there, and we should take them on. Maybe we, we struggled um, against Braga away against a team who were similar to us, let's hope. And we managed to play up to Dortmund at Leipzig. But, but I do think the sort of gravitas of the achievement and that, sort of incident itself to finals will firmly help these players because they're used to playing in high-pressure matches. They've played in countless old firms, which are perhaps one of the best missed tests to playing in a big European final. So I have no doubt that they'll go and do as proud. And if, if they put in a sort of performance that merits respect, that'll be top. And if that is 
crowned with a, um, a trophy even better. I, th- I think, you know, you, you laid it out really well there because on paper, this is the first time for a number of rounds now that we go, well, actually, we, we really have a very, very good chance of winning this. Um, I haven't, haven't put out two teams from the same, from the same league as, uh, as Frankfurt. I mean, Frankfurt today drew one each at home against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. They're down into 12th in the, in the Bundesliga. We've already put out Dortmund, who are second. We've already put out RB Leipzig, who are fourth. Um, it's one of those where you go on paper. There's no reason why we can't do this. The, the odds from the bookies are very, very tight. I think last I looked, we were sort of 13 to 10. So not quite favourites, but really, really not very far off. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. Ian Patrick described it there as the greatest achievement by Rangers in his lifetime. Uh, Patrick and I, I suspect, are within sort of five to ten years in age, and I would say it's the greatest achievement in, in my lifetime as well. Um, I wasn't around for, for 1972. I was around for 2008, um, and that's the benchmark, I think, that I have for, for Rangers achievements. How does 2022 compare to, to 2008? Well, first of all, I was three months old in uh, 1972 when, when we won it. So uh, so I suppose within my lifetime, then that's the greatest achievement. Uh, but uh, and what I can actually remember, uh, 2008, uh, yeah, I, I mean, what, what I would say about t- 2008 is I do think there's, I think that doesn't get the credit it deserves. Um, and I think the way the game sort of panned out, the final panned out, it was a bit disappointing. Um, I don't think we, I, I think a lot of fans sort of think we didn't really go for it. We didn't take the chance. It was a one-off game and we approached it in the same way as we'd approached every other game in that uh, in that run to the final and, and, and played it very cautiously. Um, and that was a missed opportunity. And I think because of that, a lot of people sort of downplayed 2008. Um, I think it was a, a massive achievement to get there. Uh, and it was a massive, a, a, you know, the, the final itself, yeah, the result was disappointing. At 1-0, uh, we had a chance to equalise and, and if that goal had gone in um, and we'd gone on to win it, then there would have been another Walter Smith masterclass. So I think he was entitled to approach the game the way he'd approached every other game in that, uh, in that run. Um, um, and, you know, I know it didn't quite work out the way we had hoped, but, that, you know, that was just the way it was. Uh, Zenit were, a, were probably a better team and, and, and deserved to win. That said, uh, this is supersedes that by miles, in my opinion. Um, the run to the final, I mean, that, the 2008, the run to the final was good um, and we played some decent teams, but I think this time, in the context of what the, the Europa League is now, uh, I mean, if you know, it's the fact that it's the, now the Europa League and I think since it's been the Europa League, it has become a sort of mini Champions League in some ways. So if you look back at the last 10 years or so, the winners have basically come from England and Spain. That That's the the, the levels we've been at, I think, in 2010 uh, was the last time uh, a team from outside Spain or England won it, and, and that was uh, uh, Porto, I think. Uh, yeah, Porto in 2010 or 2011. So, you know, the competition's been dominated by the big guns and, and you know, the finalists have all come from the big countries. Basically, I think maybe there was a, a Ukrainian team made it in one, one season. But, um, but apart from that, since it's been the, the Europa League, it has been many Champions League and that's the standard and a lot of the teams who have reached the final have come dropped down from the Champions League as well. So in that context, for Rangers to get to the final, 
And in fact, in, for Frankfurt to get to the final as well, I mean, fair play to them. I mean, they're, they're you know they've also uh, in some ways overachieved. And I think you know for Rangers to get to the final, it, you know, surpasses anything that we've done up until this point in the, in the European context uh, since since we actually won uh, the, the competition uh, in '72. And uh, and I hope that I hope that we we give it a go. I hope we win, obviously. And I think we can win, although I'm maybe not quite as uh, as uh, confident as, as some other people seem to be, um, but that's probably just me. Um, but uh, but you know, I think I think I, I hope that after this, we'll, we'll, we'll reflect back on uh, on this run as uh, as what it was, which is a, a massive achievement. And uh, you know, if Rangers do win it, and I still think it's a big if, but if we do win it, uh, I would say that is the, the biggest achievement of any Scottish club in, in Europe. Uh, Ever, uh, I mean, I know, I know the European Cup was a bigger, uh, the bigger trophy. But when you look at the context that we're in now and how far behind we are in terms of the amount of money we've got and, and, the, and the, the competition we have uh, on a week to week basis, uh, you know, we shouldn't be there. You know, the, the competition is not designed for us to be there, and, and we've managed to get through to it. So, you know, I, I think this would be the biggest achievement uh, a Scottish club has uh, has has managed in, in Europe. I think that's, um, if we were to win the competition, I think that's the statement that's going to provide the most kind of controversy and, and, and column inches. Is, uh, is, is this the biggest achievement by a Scottish club ever? Um, I don't think any of us can be impartial when answering that question, but I would, I would suggest that it would be, not, not least for the financial uh, kind of gulf that there is obviously now between us and, and, and the larger um, football federations, but also purely based on the number of teams that we've had to play. I mean, remember us playing Alash Kert sort of six months ago and, and how poor we were in that first tie and um, how much has happened between then and now. So that the number of games that you need to play uh, has has grown massively and that, that, that to me makes an impact. I think the financial thing as well, the only thing I'd add to what you said there, Ian, the financial aspect is what also differentiates 2022 against 2008 for me. Um, in 2008, Scotland and Scottish football was certainly no longer kind of a, a, a giant on the European footballing stage, but it's worse now. I think the 14 years that have passed have not been kind to us, uh, us being Scottish football, um, not least because of what happened to Rangers. Um, I, I think that's had a, an impact on our standing in, in the continental sphere. So the, the, the fact that these European competitions now you're right, they're not designed for clubs like us to get this far. We're not supposed to get this far. You look at the efforts by UEFA to try and shut the door on, on clubs from countries like ours to, to, to even get into the Champions League, what with their, um, you know, the, what do they want to call it, the, the Super League and the sort of legacy points that certain bigger clubs will get as they want to keep them in the Champions League year on year on year. So we're not supposed to be here. Um, I think the European kind of football political landscape has changed massively. The economic landscape has changed. And, and that, to me, is what makes this so much more special. That's before we even talk about what happened to Rangers and where we were 10 years ago. 10 years from from, uh, from administration and look where we are now. So all of that stuff is, um, I think it'll take weeks and weeks and months probably to, to kind of unpick that and process it. Patrick, before we move on to some, some other news from, from the week, it, this is un, undeniably a, a massive achievement for Rangers and for Scottish football. Um, how is it that Rangers have been so successful in Europe 
but have had an unsuccessful um, premiership campaign with, with repeated slip-ups against teams like Ross County, Motherwell, and, and, and also against Celtic. Well, I mean, I think like Ockham's Ray is just probably the best way to put it. I think fundamentally we're playing in a, in a competition in which the field has parity and teams will come at us. And we are, if not more often, I feel like in this run, have been the underdogs or, or the team who's willing to sit off and the other team's going to come dominate us and just the way we're built and constructed and how the parts have come together, especially under Van Bronckhorst management, that sort of suits us um, playing that sort of counter-ish. I mean, it helps when we have such really good, fantastic deep passers, whether that be Goldson or Davis or, or now Lundstrom, who's found this immaculate passing range out of nowhere. Um, also, I think it's inherently due to the psychological factor. These are bigger games. These are on Zimitra, on BT Sport. They're on Dazen, they're on Sky Italia, and everyone's watching them. You're playing big clubs, and um, subconsciously, whether you do it or not, you're going to play up, or, or the big players will play up. Um, some will take qualms of that and be annoyed, and rightfully so. They should play every game on its merit, and a game against Motherwell away should be as gargantuan as Dortmund at home. But but it just isn't, as much as we wish it as it was. Um, I also think there is a sort of personality and mentality in the squad that we've done well in the last three years, um, especially the, the past two in which we've gone over our expectations and made it to the round of 32 and then to the round of 16. And there's this idea of progression. Um, it didn't seem so. It didn't seem like we progressed this year, especially after the first two group games, um, Leon at home and Sparta away. And that Sparta away game to me has been the worst European performance we've had um, since we've come back. Um, per se. I mean, when I come back as in we've been in the group stages, I don't think we've had a, a worse performance um, outside of that. But yeah, I think it's quite simply just that mix of excitement from the players, um, us being able to play against teams who will consistently come out and, and attack us and leave um, and reciprocally leave space open and allow us to sort of go for that. Um, and I think can underplay um, the fact that the fans get into these games more so than any others. Um, it's been absolutely bouncing. And I think Sir Alex Ferguson had a piece out today or an interview where he said that um, the desire and will from the fans and the players is what's really dragged them to the finals. And I, I can't argue with him on that point. I think that's a, that is obviously a route that, that was one of the things that struck me actually watching the, the game today is how different, and this, is, this isn't a criticism of the, of the crowd that I wrote today. I mean, today's game, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's effectively a dead rubber. Um, with almost a B team being put out, but just how different the, the I guess the atmosphere, the ambiance, and the passion today compared to Thursday was, and you, you'd fully expect that. I do think Patrick, what you're saying about um, players playing up when it's a European night, you're up against players like Jude Bellingham compared to when you're up against some of the the, uh, the talents that we have in in Scotland. Um, that does seem to awaken something in a lot of our squad. Um, and I, I also wonder if some of our squad who um, don't come from the Scottish footballing tradition have gone, okay, well, we've won, we've won the top league in Scotland. Let's now focus on, on Europe instead. Um, I don't particularly like thinking that as a fan, but uh, that said, look where it's, look where it's got us to. Um, it's, it's a hugely exciting time, clearly. Uh, I don't think any of us are going to have a passing hour where we're not thinking about Thursday and we're not thinking ahead to Seville. Um, it's almost made me forget about the fact that three days later we have a Scottish Cup final to win a competition that we have not won for a significant number of years, for too many years. Um, 
which is also very, very exciting. Um, and, and it just shows that there's so, so much stuff that can still come out of this season, which has, as I say, been comparatively disappointing on the league front. Uh, gents, with the last sort of 10, 15, 20 minutes, I would like to turn to some contract news that broke yesterday. I don't think it's a um, coincidence that the, the, the contract extensions have come out after the um, after the semi-final, whilst everyone's in a good mood. I suspect it'll probably be easier to get players to, to sign some contract extensions. Ian, we'll start with Alex Lowry, who has been tied down for a few more years. Um, we've spoken about what he brings to the team and his potential already. How important is it to to get that contract signed and have him tied down at Rangers for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously, you know, when, when you've got a young talent like that, you want to have him signed up and you want to have him uh, tied down. So if, if he does develop the way that we hope he will, we'll get a couple of good years out of him and then he's at a crossroads. Does he, does he go, if he's if he's good enough and he gets the offer, does he go somewhere else or do we uh, you know, get another couple of years out of him uh, and, then, and then he moves on at that point? But we want to see him develop into what we hope he will become uh, at Rangers. Um, when you look at somebody like uh, uh, Billy Gilmore, you know, he went off to Chelsea at a very young age. Um, I felt from his point of view, it might have been better to stay at Rangers and develop and become a better player at Rangers and then move somewhere. But I can understand why you would go to Chelsea because, you know, for all sorts of reasons, you, you probably don't turn that down. And the same probably is the case with uh, with Patterson. Um, uh, but, you know, at least we've got the option. So it would have been really disappointing if he hadn't signed the contract and he just went and, and we lost him and we didn't get to see what he could have become. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a, a good bit of business to, to get him tied down for another two or three years, or three, three years, I think it is. Uh, and, uh, and and then let's uh, let's see how he pans out. I mean, you mentioned a couple of players earlier who just haven't fulfilled what we, uh, what we hoped they would. Uh, having come broken through from the academy, um, I think he looks a bit like Patterson. Who, as soon as he came into the team, I thought he's a better player than than some of these other guys that we've sort of lauded in the past. And I think uh, Lowry's the same. He looks, he looks like a player, and and I think uh, I think he will develop, and I think he could uh, become a, a mainstay of the first team in, in the next season or two. So, like, so the fact that he's we've got him there, we've got him tied down. I think is a really good bit of business. Well, certainly hope so. Patrick, do you agree with what Ian's sort of suggesting there that the, the cases of Billy Gilmore and, and Nathan Patterson perhaps suggest that the grass isn't always greener down in England? Uh, um, yeah, most definitely. I think it's a case by case thing. I think, I think Billy Gilmore, I mean, this season's been quite uh, a step backwards, but he's done really well internationally under Lampard. He came in and played a significant role at Chelsea. Um, and I don't think anyone can sort of um, pass any judgment, especially with Gilmore, considering where we were at the time and the financial package he would have been offered. Um, the Cobham Academy has a fantastic, um, uh, what's it called, track record of producing talent. I mean, you can just see um, now um, in England and in Italy and in Germany, there's a there's a literary of um, Chelsea graduates absolutely ripping up. So I think he probably has done better than he would have if he stayed at Rangers. I think you really need to consider where we were when he left. Patterson is... Um, I have no slight on him going out to Everton. Obviously, um, it's not been great or worked out as well as, as he might have hoped, but it is also only 
four months in. He's been injured a bit. Everton have been embroiled in a relegation battle, which they wouldn't have expected to be in. If they weren't embroiled in that relegation battle, you would have expected as well that he would have been given a few more minutes, similar to how we've seen with Leon King. Um, as soon as we're sort of out of this sort of title uh, race per se, that's when you can blood these youngsters just because the jeopardy might be too high to, to, to risk playing someone who, albeit is very talented evidently, but might not have the experience or um, to deal with the high pressure situation. Um, um, I think with Alex Lowry, there was obviously talk of him going to Newcastle. I do think he's at the juncture in his career in which he doesn't have enough minutes to sort of move outside of Scotland. I think he still needs to firmly ground himself. I mean, this is coming from someone who's admittedly pretty terrible at football, but there is something about getting a good CV and getting minutes under your legs before moving. Um, especially when you're at the juncture in which you're going to play professionally. Alex Lowry is too old and too talented to play B-team football um, going into the next season. Um, so the idea of him moving to Newcastle and then probably having to pay two more years of under-21s or the Premier League 2, as they call it, wouldn't have been a good idea. Um, I'm also happy that he's extended just on the fact that it probably guarantees that he'll have some minutes next season. I don't think he, him or his agent uh, would have suggested that he signed without promises contractual maybe even monetary promises that he will get a thousand fifteen hundred twenty games or whatever but this is a sign that he believes in the coaching staff and this is a sort of the a1 prospect so if he believes in it, uh, it it's a firm indication to the rest of the talents moving through and um, that they should stay at Rangers because um, I think Gilmore and Patterson are good examples but Dira Mabude um, one who left us at 15 similar situation to Gilmore I believe Man City paid a sort of cross-border fee but that's in, in the low hundred thousands he's a uh, been one of the best Man City players in, uh, at 17 in that under-23s Premier League campaign, which they recently won. So I think the sort of setting the standards in which the Kings and the Lowry's stay in-house and develop could only be good for us as in a sort of a playing field, but as an institution as well. I think that's absolutely right. I think you're, um, it, it, it's an encouraging um, an encouraging step to see the, 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 the young talent making that proactive choice to to at least continue their development at this stage and, and, and see where that takes. I always suspect that the family has something to do with it as well. Um, I, I think that Chelsea, the, the rumours are that Chelsea got in Billy Gilmore's family's ears and, and uh, one side of Billy Gilmore's family was Rangers, but the other was Celtic and it was easy enough to sway in that way. Um, I understand Alex Lowry comes from a, a, a real staunch Rangers family and that probably uh, took any element of choice out of the matter and he was told to sign a new contract. Um, but that's, again, all the better for us. I need to take a deep breath before I launch into the next segment. Um, a new one-year extension for Scott Arfield. Um, Ian, is that deserved? Is that a good thing? Um, Scott Arfield, clearly hugely popular uh, amongst the playing staff, very popular amongst fans as well. Um, but diminishing minutes this season, I would argue, with the greatest of respect possible, a diminishing impact on the team. Um, how do you respond to him getting another year? I think it's a no-brainer, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, he may not be a, 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 everyone's cup of tea, but I think he's a an honest, good player and a good impact player as well. And I think you know, we need guys like him in the squad. We need guys who, who know what it, you know, he's, he's been here for uh, three seasons now or possibly more, uh, or 
I'm not entirely sure now. I can't remember. But anyway, he's been there. He's done it. He's won the league. Um, he's he's part of that squad that that has has been successful. I think you know, give him another year for definite. I mean, actually, before I sort of launch into my rant, um, Patrick, what, what do you reckon, Scott Arfield? I mean, he's he's certainly putting it mildly in the twilight of his career. We have. Um, in Alex Lowry, an excellent prospect coming through a very similar position. Uh, do you see the the value in giving him another year? Um, I don't love or hate the deal. Um, I certainly agree to the fullest extent with Ian's point on the sort of um, standard setting of the institution on both the playing field and a personality wise. Albeit he hasn't stayed, been at Rangers all too long. I think it's four seasons, and he hasn't won a literary of trophies, but he does seem to get what it means. And I think the fans truly appreciate that. So in a summer in which we'll likely have a few of our sort of old heads leaving, um, McGregor and Davis look likely. You might also see Goldson, who albeit might not have the years, but he's sort of been entrenched in what it is to be a Rangers player in the last few years. So that sort of maintaining the personality-wise in the dressing room is perhaps as important as what he'll offer us on the pitch next season. I don't think, and the fact that we've extended him for a year, he'll play the exact same role that he will has this season, I think he will play less minutes. Um, I, I hope so, um, from the fact that we do have a lot of interesting prospects in that sort of attacking midfield, sort of box-to-box um, range, and that there's a lot of good value this summer in, in that area to pick up as well. But I, I think it's fine. I, I think, depending on the pay pack he's on, obviously, I, I don't expect that we've improved his his terms. If anything, it'll probably be a matching or, or decreased salary. So so that's fine. I think quite frugal from it. Because albeit he might not be the perfect contributor in Europe, I think he still serves a purpose in Scotland. He has that sort of bite in which is sometimes needed to reciprocate against the, the sort of hard men uh, of Scottish football in, in the sort of central midfields. I think you look like Alan Powers and, and that lot. Um, and, and some people who have much better technical proficiency don't provide that. So all in all, I'm, I'm not mad at it. Um, I, I think a lot of people will be happy about it as well. So without meaning to diminish the goodwill and the good feeling around Rangers at the moment, I, I, I don't get it. I simply don't get it, right? Because he's he's contributed, actually, to, in fairness to him, he has contributed more under uh, under Gio than he did under Gerard at the start of the season. And he, I think he has looked a little bit refreshed since Gio came in. Um, my, my issue with it is, is, well, there's a few issues. I, I, I think that he has... He never really had much pace anyway, but his pace has is, is, is fallen away. Um, I, I feel that he misses more good opportunities than he takes. Um, his, was it against Braga? His misses in Europe, which could have kind of put that time to bed, were, were shocking, were criminal. But it's it's the fact that, I mean, Patrick, anyone who doesn't follow Patrick on Twitter and kind of get the insight of the, the scouting and analysis of, of some um, maybe more alternative leagues that we could be shopping in, I always get the sense that there are so many targets that we could spend that money and take a bit of a gamble on, um, which which could pay off. We know that Scott Arfield's product is 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 on a downward slope just because of where he is in his career. So I feel that that money could, if we wanted to invest in alternative targets in that position, the money could have been spent on that. I feel that we've just signed this new deal for Alex Lowry, and I feel that if Scott Arfield is getting any minutes next season that Alex Lowry could have got, that's a travesty because we should be using that position to develop Lowry as much as possible. Um, I don't see much difference in, in those two players at this point. But I think for me, the, the thing that I really don't get is that 
it sounds like Connor Goldson's not signing a contract because we will not come up to the value that he thinks he should be getting week in, week out, right? So he's, let's say Rangers are offering a certain number. Goldson wants a little bit more than that. The money that we're about to give Scott Arfield, could that not have been put on the Connor Goldson deal to convince him to stay, even for another year or two seasons? Um, they're not in the same position. I get that. It's never as simple as just the number and there must be all sorts of other factors. But it seems strange to me that Scott Arfield, who's played Premier League, who's one of the most experienced and senior players in that dressing room, is not playing for buttons. He's not playing for peanuts. Um, so while I agree that, that he's not earning more money from this deal, he's still going to be earning a significant amount. Could that money not have been put towards a new deal for Conor Wilson? And that's where I really don't see the value in this. I really don't. But we've got Ian saying it's a no-brainer. We've got Patrick saying it's not a bad idea. Um, so I'm happy to be outvoted. I'm very, very keen to hear what all the listeners think on this and see if anyone agrees with me. Um, I do have a bit of a, an issue with Scott Arfield and I just don't think I don't see what everyone else sees. Um, so seeing that news yesterday, right, so we get the Europa League semi-final, we then get Alex Lyra signing a new contract and I was absolutely flying. And I've seen that tweet come through, like new one-year extension for Scott Arfield and he's sitting there in the old manager's office wearing a suit. So, um, I was in a mood. I was in a mood. Um, look, uh, before I've, I've ranted enough, I will, I will wrap it up there. Um, I'd say a massive thanks, of course, to, to Patrick and Ian and, and sorry for making you sit through that wee sort of rant at the end there but uh, I still don't get it but thank you to Patrick and Ian for, for giving up their Sunday evening to come and talk Rangers with me it's been a hell of a week and it's been a pleasure getting to, to discuss it with these two gentlemen a massive thanks as well to everyone who's, who's joined us tonight live on the YouTube stream thank you for, for getting involved and thanks as always to Frankie for, for marshalling and controlling that the Jersnet podcast will of course be back throughout the week we'll try and squeeze out a preview show ahead of the Ross County game uh, on, on Wednesday but we will, of course, be back with the main show next Sunday. That's at 9.30pm, as always, on the Jersnet YouTube channel. Just keep an eye on the Jersnet Twitter feed for all of the latest details. And head over to the website, as I say, at jersnet.co.uk. Thanks again for joining us. Please do give us a like and a subscribe. Make sure you never miss a thing. And uh, until next week, goodbye for now.